Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Today is a COO Alliance member and Senior Vice President of STN Digital, Camille Arciaga. STN Digital is a social first marketing agency focused on launching brands and building highly engaged audiences, focusing on digital strategy, social media management, paid media, influencer management, branding, sponsorships, and more. The STM team strives to be a seamless extension of their partners' internal teams. On any given day, the team at STN could be helping build Elton John's TikTok to launching a new stadium for SDSU to producing a live stream event for a feature film. Camille started at STN as a creative director and over the past three and a half years has worn many different operational hats and is now the SVP and second in command to their CEO, David Brickley. Over the years, she has harnessed her passion for developing teams, implementing organizational change and processes while fostering an innovative work environment that helps drive a white glove service that STN is known for. Camille, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, to learning a little bit more about you and your growth, and then also um, even a little bit more about STN. Why don't we start with STN? Because I'm kind of intrigued by, you know, the, just in the bio, what it mentioned, you know, Elton John's TikTok to a new stadium for San Diego State University. Um, like, really? <laughs> yes, everything under the sun. So STN, we're a social first marketing agency headquartered here in San Diego, but we have teams all over the U.S. now since we've gone remote. But we work with brands like the NFL, the Olympics, Hulu, Amazon, um, and helping them with anything from 360 marketing, on-site activations, paid media. Um, as you know, this industry is changing every three months. There's always a new platform, a new update, just so many things to keep up with. So um, our team really likes to to be those experts for our clients so they don't have to figure that out all on their own. And yeah, we're like an extension of their external teams. And we really want our clients just to be the, the editor-in-chief of their content and, and we help them reach their goals. Amazing. So with, with brands that are this big and brands that are this well-known, I would imagine that your company and your team has to be good at saying no to some of them. Because if you say yes to everything they ask for, you're going to screw it up and then you're going to kill all the relationships. So how do you say no to them? Or, or am I right? Maybe I'm wrong. That is right. I actually was thinking about that. Um, one, I guess, saying that we've been repeating over the last few years is we could do it, but should we? And if we don't ask ourselves that, we will just say yes to everybody. Um, but really understanding what's at risk here, because these are such large brands. So any quality issues is on us. Any mistake on these very visible platforms um, could really kill your whole business. So it's very important to us to have that integrity behind what we're offering and making sure that we're, we can stick to our promise of giving the best output possible and also protecting our team um, and our culture of just not driving people into the ground by, because we said yes to everything. Yeah, I can imagine. How, with, with the clients that you're working with, are you a premium priced service? Are you kind of middle where does your pricing stack up? And my guess again would be that you're in the premium price side of things with the brands that you're working with because they need the best. Is that accurate or 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I'm not too familiar with uh, how our competitors are pricing, but um, we know what we are offering to our clients. And, you know, our team is on seven days a week and always available, especially in social media. Things are happening all the time. You know, uh, an athlete gets released or traded or news just drops. So our team has to be readily available to to respond to those um, events for our clients. So, you know, I think with our pricing, you're also paying for that dependability and always on, which I think a lot of, of agencies can't always offer. How many employees do you have now? We have 90 now. 90. Okay. So that's a huge agency. When you started four years ago, how many were you then? 20, 20, 25. <laughs> so from 20, 25 employees up to 90. So you're four times bigger than you were when you got there. Um, what's that growth been like? The funnest, wildest ride. Um, it's been really fun. I, when I joined, yeah, we were 25. Uh, and the agency that I came from, I saw this, a very similar trajectory. I also joined at 20 and by the time I left, it was like 300 people. So I've been very familiar with this kind of space and I find it so fascinating to be a part of. Um, so when I saw SCN Digital, I just, I don't know, I just had this gut feeling that they were on the same trajectory and I wanted to be a part of it. So yeah, I mean, having a pandemic happen and your whole company going remote and kind of seeing a lot of your contracts be put on hold almost overnight because in-person events are all uh, not happening. That's That was a big part of our bread and butter. So yeah, it's been fun trying to figure it all out. Okay, so go to that. So you said that you do social and social media, but then on-site, is that your on-site taking photos and doing live streams and reels on-site? Like, what are you doing on-site for events? Um, an example would be at an awards show where they have an activation with on the red carpet as celebrities are walking through. They, you know, maybe the network wants to get content that they can post on their social media. So we've built like full activations where we only have one minute with a celebrity. So we have a team on site capturing this content and um, turning it over and sending it to their publicist to post on social media within 30 minutes. So just really maximizing the, the footprint that they have and the time that we have with these highly visible people to really amplify the presence on social media. Wow, amazing. Okay, so COVID hits and on-site contracts stop. Did you have to lay off people? Did you have to sit back and, and I hate the term pivot? Did you have to pivot? What did you do? <laughs> no. We didn't lay off a single person. We really, we really got together as a leadership team and figured out, you know, what other offerings and where else could we add value? Because the other side of the coin was that everybody realized they needed social media. If you weren't in person, then you at least needed to have a social presence to just stay top of mind and be visible. So because that was what, you know, our expertise is in, we created playbooks, we, we gave people tools to help navigate. How are you going to, you know, you still have budget, how can we maximize what you have to use and um, keep your audience engaged during such a unknown time? Okay, so there's been a huge trend in the last few years for offshoring. I mean, probably in the last 20 years, but even more so, it seems um, a lot of what the work, kind of the back end work on social, like slicing up content and 
captioning it and pushing it out in feeds, blah, blah, blah. A lot of that's being done overseas. What percentage of your 90 employees are overseas? What percent are in the US? They are all here. Um, but we also, we do have a team of freelancers that are overseas, but they're not full-time employees for us. But we do use them to um, create content for us. And yeah, it does help when they're over, especially in this quick turn nature of our industry. Like I said, if um, somebody is about to be traded or news is about to drop, we can activate someone overseas. And by the time we get in, the graphic is already done. But um, yeah, all of our full-time employees are here. That's amazing. Okay. So the 90 are in North America, but you are leveraging some freelancers as well overseas. Um, yep. make, make sense on the on-site and the 360. Talk to me about some of the, um, I'm going to talk around the COVID stuff and then I'll go back through the four years again. So the, so the COVID hit you a little bit on the, the products that you're offering and the services and having to, you know, refocus with some of these clients around some of the urgency, less on-site. What changed for the company itself? Were you all based in San Diego at the time or were you throughout the U.S. pre-COVID? Yeah, we were all based in San Diego with a few people who were um, in other states, but that wasn't even a, a standard for the company. It was like mm -hmm. everybody who got uh, onboarded had to be based in San Diego, but that literally changed overnight. And it's interesting to think back now because that was you know, even working from home was something as a culture we were trying to like move towards. It was like one day you got to work from home. It was Wednesday, right. I remember. And then overnight, we just was like, okay, everyone work from home. And it actually worked out just fine. So, um, but actually since then, yeah, everyone that we've um, hired, we've opened up all of our, our jobs to anybody in the U.S., which has been amazing actually for our talent because San Diego is very limiting for yeah. what you're looking for. Well, every city is limiting. If you think about the fact that, you know, you got to you got to live within 20 minutes of the office to have a reasonable life. If you're driving more than that, your life is kind of messed up. So then you're hating your job. Um, and then, like you said, it's, it's odd that you're going to have so much talent, you know, just in that one marketplace. So are you going back to the office? Are you getting rid of the offices? What's going on there? No. So we um, we have a headquarters in San Diego. We've kind of turned it into a WeWork kind of space. So there aren't really any assigned seats, but there is a desk and a monitor if you want to plug in and pop in whenever you need to. Um, our executives have private offices here. Um, but for the most part, our headquarters is more of a place to collaborate or have larger meetings if we can, but it's by no means a mandatory anymore. Wow. Like what an unbelievable change and cultural shift in every organization. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Nobody ever would have thought this, like you said, like, you know, Wednesdays you could work from home, but we were watching. Now it's like, shit, I guess, like, if you want to come in <laughs> once in a while, it'd be nice to see you. Yes, it's such a difference. So what's changed? What's changed in terms of your systems culturally and on the hiring and onboarding? How have you adapted to that? Wow, it's been, um, I feel like we've actually just gone through like two years of wild hiring. <laughs> and um Man, our culture has changed so much. I think the pandemic just forced us to really look at what matters and listen to what our team needs. Um, we actually, I think we, at the beginning of the pandemic, we gave everyone a one hour mental health break. And it was free time to do whatever you needed to do. The whole company took it. We had this agreement that we wouldn't Slack, email, call during that hour. And it's actually something we've never gotten rid of. 
it's just on the company calendar that uh, we've adopted. So changes like that, because we just felt the team needed it. Yeah, and our hiring has just blown up. We um, actually, we've been working with Next Level Growth uh, just recently. My CEO, David Brickley, I think heard about them from you. Yeah, Michael Eroth's company, that's right. Yeah, so Scott is our implementer and he's been incredible. Um, my CEO is very familiar with EOS and we've implemented some principles, but not with a true implementer. So it was kind of, mm. was there, but not really. And we weren't um, really following through. So so now we're fully invested in the visionary integrator seats and accountability chart and KPI. So um, it's interesting because that's kind of coming after a lot of this growth, but yeah. we're moving in the right direction. Okay, so I'm curious now, um, EOS Traction by Gino Wickman, the solid systems, amazing program. My feeling has always been that it tends to start to break down around you know, 70, 80 employees and you need something different. Is that why you're now working with Michael Eros company, Next Level Growth, is you need something next kind of after EOS? Yes, and um, it just, yeah, at the size that we're at and the leadership team that we've developed, um, I also just really like the platform. I think they've got us on 90 IO, which keeps us accountable. And just that's the thing with all of these processes and programs, right? There's just documents that live everywhere. And halfway through the quarter, you kind of forget that they exist. So mm-hmm. trying to create something that is, um, that, yeah, that we look at weekly and we're all accountable for. So thank you. So let's go back to the hiring component. And, and you know, you've had to hire 70 employees over the last um, four years, but in, in really in the last two years, you've had to do it remotely. So how, what specifically have you done to, um, to change your hiring process, your interviewing process and your onboarding process? Let's go like interviewing and then onboarding. Yeah. I mean, even before interviewing, the game changer for our company was hiring a recruiter. I think we just couldn't crack the code, but um, a lot of, you know, a lot of other businesses that had scaled that we spoke to, hiring that internal recruiter was was massive for for them. Where did you get the recruiter? Uh, we just hired for it. Just had a job posting up, and <laughs> they've been, and we actually just hired a junior recruiter underneath that person, but they've really helped us just get people to the hiring process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a big change. I would recommend that to everybody because otherwise everyone's accountable, but really nobody is. Yeah. So uh, yeah, recruiter was huge. And then in the hiring process, we really just systematized everything and we use recruiting as a platform and, you know, just most people, uh, in buckets throughout the process. So you're very clear on where people are. Um, a big thing that we've also integrated was predictive index. So we actually asked our applicants to fill that out in the hiring process. So we create job targets before the post even goes up. And all of our hiring managers are trained to look at what their PI scores are and um, if they're a, even just a fit for the job. And that actually helps us Called through so hundreds of applicants because if sure. they just aren't in the the right job target, it's just not going to be a fit. Period. So that was also huge. Otherwise, you're just looking at every applicant without a, a compass, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the interview process. 
I mean, yeah, our interview process, you know, has about like five core steps. And then um, our onboarding, we actually did a whole overhaul of, of the process. You know, we realized that people were joining the team and had no idea what the goals were, had no idea what their impact was to the whole company and just felt like a fish out of water. So we actually, they actually spent two days with our um, director of HR and go through a company onboarding. So just a baseline picture of like, what are our goals this year? They actually rewatched our state of the union. They watch a video about our vivid vision. We, we record all of those. So we make all of our new hires watch them. So they're caught up to speed on what the whole company has agreed on and what the vision is. Um, we go through platforms, benefits, all the basic things that I feel just get overlooked and you're expected to kind of figure out by asking people. Um, and then you get shuffled over to the department training and that's a whole process. We also yep. have internal manager training. So depending on what kind of hire they have, uh, everybody gets the, the basic STN digital company training and then they get the more specialized branch out from there. So in terms of the culture side of things, I mean, the culture clearly changes and adapts through COVID. Um, how do you onboard people when you used to be a strong culture company and you were all in person? How do you indoctrinate them into that culture? But it's like, but go back to your living room, you know, or go back to your <laughs> bedroom. I know it's, it's been a fun experiment to see what works. I mean, even when I first started, we always sent out a little questionnaire to our new employees and sent it out the Friday before they started. And everyone in the company actually welcomed you and responded to that email. So you kind of felt already welcomed by the team before your first day even. Um, yeah, our, it's interesting. Our our Slack is probably the most <laughs> lively it's ever been. And it's been interesting to see how well I know people that I haven't met because I think we've created a really like transparent, safe, bring your whole self type of environment that people are happy to share photos of their dog, their children, their <laughs> whatever's going on at home. And that's very welcomed here. Um, but I will say a big investment that we made this year was having a goat retreat. So our mascot is a goat. Um, and we call our team the herd. Um, I, we, have okay, goat, got it. <laughs> we have a goat retreat here in San Diego. It was the first one we've done of like this size. So our employees who had been on the team for like two years hadn't met their supervisors, their colleagues in person yet. So we flew everybody out to San Diego and we had no sales discussions, no company meetings. It was really just focused on team building and foundations so yeah we had you know olympics on the bay we did a whole tour of our new headquarters we did a nice company celebration but that really helped us see how much you know we need to invest in culture and probably do that more often i love it i just um i just dropped into the chat the um a, a friend of mine and a former co alliance member um, a company's called Mike Arcy. It's company's called Loud Rumor. Mike hosts a podcast called The Goat Show, and he has some really, really strong content that I think you guys would actually like. He's he's actually a digital marketing agency as well, 
but he only does digital marketing for firms like F45 and Orange Theory and chains of fitness places. Uh, so there's no competition. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think I think your team might love some of his goat show episodes because yeah, um, same the greatest, energy, greatest of all time. Yeah, he's amazing. So I'll I'll share that. I'll actually link that in the show notes. I'll also link in the show notes Mike RC or Mike um, Michael Eras company uh, next level as well, so people can access that. So. Yeah. Oh, talk to me about what you're noticing with employee compensation. I mean, we've heard this whole thing, the great resignation. I think it's about time that employees left crappy companies working at crappy jobs and they moved to companies like yours where they can work for a great company and a great job. But what's happened to compensation in the last two years? What are you seeing? I'm, I'm, I'm seeing what everyone else is seeing on the hiring side. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I think people are empowered to ask for what they think they deserve and um it's on the company side it's forcing us to reevaluate all the levels um and i think that's a, a common challenge we've talked about in co alliance about you know strong talent that you want to get in the door very quickly because also if you don't offer them within <laughs> within a week they're gone it's kind of like the housing market <laughs> yeah um yeah, it's, it's, it forces us to reevaluate the levels that we have within the company um, just to meet the demand of potential candidates. So it's, I've never seen anything like it. So. I haven't either. It's extraordinary and it's extraordinarily fast. So are you paying more than you used to pay? Are you trying to, you know, drag it out as long as you can? Are you getting ahead of the curve? Like where, where are you guys with all that? Uh, we're definitely paying more. And I think especially when you're competing, I mean, you know, our competitors are thousands of employees and have a lot more. You're in, <laughs> a, hot, you're in a hot space. Yeah. So we have to stay competitive. But I also think that um, we double down on our culture and we know that the environment that you're going to join and, and what we offer here as far as um you know, protecting your work-life balance and really looking out for our employees. Um, I don't know if you can put a number on that, but but we're also confident that if you choose to work with us, um, you'll be much happier. <laughs> what are you What are you giving people for vacation time? Where are you with all that? Yeah, we have four weeks of PTO. Um, I can't remember the number of holidays off the top of my head, but um, we also have this policy internally, you know, we actually have people on staff who are looking at have people worked seven days in a row or over X amount of hours. And we actually work with that employee to give them time back. So nobody in the company ever, you know, works for 14 days and goes unchecked and isn't given, you know, some time back to recoup. Right. Yeah. It's, it's I like that you actually said we protect the career life balance as well, that I mean, that is as important, you know, there's, it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We're actually going to be spending a lot of time in September at our two-day um, in-person event on building a world-class culture. And it's only COOs from around the world will be at that event, just focusing on building that workplace so that we can attract more employees in like a magnet. And it is, it, it, the base level pay is only the bottom of that five-level pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy, right? That safety and security and the, the camaraderie and the feeling of friendships and um, the career growth and their own personal growth. And so it, it's kind of good that you guys are focusing on all that. I want to go back four years ago. So you were working at another digital agency and then you decided to go and work with STN. Were you still at the other agency? Had you quit? What was the transition to STN? 
Yeah, I um, was still there when I applied at STM Digital. I was there for several years. That's where I really like got all my uh, understanding of, of agency world. It was in public health marketing, so totally different subject matter. Um, so after, I want to say seven or six or seven years of that, I was just like curious to see how my skills would translate in another industry. And STM Digital you know, was another agency in San Diego, which I felt was like a, a unicorn to find because sports and entertainment agencies are in New York, in LA, in, in big cities that I, I couldn't move to at the time. So I knew that, I don't know, there was something about STN that I had to jump in and test it out. And why do you think they, what, what role did you apply for and why do you think they selected you back there, back then? This is a funny story. I wanted to get in the door that I just applied as an account manager. That was like the open position, which wasn't uh, what I what I did. But they actually called me back. I didn't get that role, but they called me back after their creative director ended up leaving. So several months later, they called me back and um, actually offered me the role that I really wanted, which is great. Um, what was that? Which was creative director. So. I had initially applied as an account manager, but I just wanted that to get in the door, even though that really wasn't what I did. It's crazy. So how have you moved from the creative director side into kind of the operations side? Like you're now the senior vice president, um, you report to the CEO, you're, yeah. kind of, you're kind of that second in command. How did you move into that role? Um, you know, I was thinking about this. How did I get here? Because I know that's a very unorthodox um, way to to get to the role, but um, yeah, I knew that the the company was like right on the precipice of, of blowing up and scaling very quickly. And it's funny, I learned about Colby at CEO Alliance and I revisited my profile and I'm at 8913. So Whoa. I love systems and process and yeah. that kind of made everything makes sense to me. Um, I'm always asking, well, how are we doing this? Why are we doing this? What's the most efficient way to do this? So even in the creative world, there's so many steps to get an idea out the door to be client facing, you know? So that was what I geeked out on. It's like, okay, I have project managers, I have freelancers, I have account managers, all of these people in the process of, of shepherding this idea out the door. I just realized that I always was excited about creating a system around that. So um, I think at the time, my CEO also realized he needed a, a right-hand person to think through the how of all of this. And that was naturally what I gravitated towards. Um, so I and sat in the director of HR seat twice. I was in the VP of ops seat before I was in this seat. So I actually think that as um, unexpected as it is, all of those seats actually help me see the whole picture for sure and understand the very, very tactical aspects of the role. And because um, I think when you're so far removed, it's it's actually kind of hard to enact change because you don't really get the day to day experience of that person that's client facing. So it's actually helped me see the full picture. That's super interesting. Okay, so. Did did your CEO David did he do his Colby profile? He did. Do you know what his four numbers are? Surprisingly, he's at eight six three three. Okay, so he's an unconventional COO. So, what's his background? Is he out of the sciences or something, or tech, or no? No, this. I mean, he started this company, so um, 
he's he was um in sports broadcasting and that's actually what he wanted to do was become a broadcaster but um has always been in the social space so interesting yeah it is very interesting so both of, so your your second number is the highest with a 9 which means you initiate projects by putting systems and processes playbooks in place david's first number is highest and that means he likes to start things by asking questions so I would guess that between the two of you with two very first high numbers and then with systems and processes, you're not making a lot of mistakes or no. are you making some mistakes? <laughs> we both of us really strive not to. <laughs> yeah. Have you made any? Plenty. Plenty give of us, mistakes. Give us a mistake that you've made as a, as a company or like that you've made that you've learned from. I think this is pretty common, but not moving quickly enough when it comes to culture. Oh, we actually learned about this tool, this like the people assessment tool. And there's that part of it where they're like a high culture fit, but low performer or high performer, but poor for your culture. And those are the some of the mistakes that we made is just not moving in those areas. So it has yeah. ripple effects that affect so many people. But um, yeah, those those are the ones that stand out to me because they take all of your energy. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. It's kind of like that cultural cancer that if you found out you had a cancerous tumor in your body, you'd get it removed right away. I don't know why we let the cancerous people stay in the organization because they do spread. Yes. And we realize that the more and more that we have to, the more and more that we're talking about someone or trying to make plans for somebody or create a role for somebody that doesn't exist is already a, a telltale sign for us that we've spent too much time thinking yeah. about this. Now this, is a, this is an odd question because I don't know the, I actually don't know the answer to this, but have you signed up any of your managers yet for the Invest in Your Leaders course yet? Not yet. Not yet. We okay. Have not. <laughs> um, what do you do to grow your managers and leaders? The reason I launched that course was to give managers the 12 core leadership skills that they need to excel in their role. So things like situational leadership, coaching, delegation, time management, um, conflict management, problem solving, interviewing, running meetings, you know, the soft skills of management. When you're growing this quickly, you've got a, a management team that you're either needing to continue to grow or you're hiring from the outside. Let's talk about the growing them from within. What are you doing to grow their skills internally? Or, yeah. are, you just, or are you just hiring people that grow themselves? Well, um, in, the, in the last few years, we actually built a manager training program internally. Um, and it had a C our CEO and myself sat down and recorded videos about mindset shifts that, you know, change when you become a people leader at the company, um, how you show up now changes and people that are watching you. So a lot of those mindset shifts we recorded videos on. He also has a coach that he did some videos with about having difficult conversations. Um, and then we, you know, it's, it's a huge deck that is kind of tracked with, with a checklist. But um, we also walk through all of the platforms and now the manager level aspect of all the platforms that they're used to using. Um, what else do we do? Also just corrective action. I think some people have never, didn't know that, you know, performance improvement plans existed or development action plans existed so walking them through what their options are if they are in a situation like that and who to go to um, as a company we also well as a leadership team we read radical candor we reference that often that's really big for us here um, 
yeah, so that's like the initial, and we're actually working through right now how we make that a more ongoing process and how we can talk about it more often, actually, because they'll get through that. And then I think the application of it in the real world, now that they have to do these things, a lot more questions come up. So we're trying to think through what that next step looks like. Organization that you believe in growing people too. It's nice that you know David has a coach and then you're involved in the COO Alliance and you've got you know next level growth kind of working with you on implementing um, you know, traction and, and the, the L10 stuff and all their systems um, and that you're, you're growing your people. Have you had to bring in any external senior hires over top of the existing team at all? And, and how did that go if you have yet? Or are you just starting to, to have to think about that? The VP level? Um, yeah, we actually hired out for our VP of operations. I was just, um, just the operations side of the, the company, I think, was kind of lagging with the rest of the company. And then you scale and then you realize we really need these people. <laughs> um, they're the engine behind all of this scaling. So that was like a, a big red flag moment in one of our offsites. I mean, the CEO, we realized that both of us were probably sitting in that seat <laughs> and that is so ineffective for both of us. But that was one mm-hmm. that we hired out and just knew that there wasn't anyone on the team that could possibly fill that role. So when you had to hire for that outside and bring them in, I mean, this typically happens when you're going from kind of the 70 or 80 to, you know, like in, you're in the 100 zone is when you typically have to do it. Um, it's very normal. And then when you're at 300, almost every single senior person is coming in from the outside. It's very hard to grow from within. So what did you have to do to bring that person in from the outside? What were some of the negative ripple effects that they, that caused? And what were some of the positive ripple effects that that senior person caused? Because Either way, they're like a boulder. They're going to cause ripples. What What did you notice and what can we learn from the good and the bad? Yeah, I, I really appreciate bringing somebody in from the outside because they ask questions that I don't think get asked enough. Just why, right? Just why do we do it that way? And anytime I didn't have an answer for why, it was like, well, then why do we even do that? <laughs> so I actually welcome those, those questions that they and, and how they poke holes just to try to understand, right? Because it makes you um, repeat back what you're trying to teach them. And if it doesn't make sense, then it's like, well, then let's remove it. So I think that is like such a huge benefit of, of bringing in someone from the outside. Um, but yeah, I think them joining an existing leadership team, it's a different energy. We've all been working you know, together for several years now. And um there is there is a relationship building that has to happen because especially in these leadership meetings, it's a we talk about sensitive topics, we talk about what's going on in the business, and um, it takes a while for that person to understand the rhythm of and the culture. I mean, for any employee, for sure, um, to get integrated. But fortunately, that person's also local, so he's having a much easier time figuring it out. Nice. I, I just just realized like uh, STN Digital. If you rearrange the STN, is is called TSN. TSN <laughs> is a sports broadcasting agency in Canada, and my uncle was one of the very first sports broadcasters for that agency in in Canada. So I was laughing. David wanted to be in sports <laughs> broadcasting. I don't know. There is my ADD moment for you. That. Um, <laughs> all right. I want to go back to the twenty two year old Camille. You're just getting started in your career. You're just kind of getting going. What advice would you give yourself at twenty two that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known back then? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you don't need to know everything to start. 
That is what I would tell myself. Um, I'm someone who wants to know all the information. I want to be really good at it before I start. Um, but two things happened to me in the last several years. I had a baby and a pandemic hit right as I became a VP. <laughs> so both of those are great examples of you don't need to know everything to start because as a parent, you read all the books, you think you know everything, and then they arrive and you're like, holy yeah, crap, nothing. I don't know anything. And you're Googling <laughs> everything and you're noticing that other parents also don't know what they're doing. So you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, when COVID hit, um, fortunately, I think I had already joined or I joined CO Alliance during the pandemic. So just to have other people in my seat and realizing we're all figuring it out, no matter what size your company was, no one really had a clear answer. That was actually very comforting. And it just reinforced like you're not going to know everything and the resources will present themselves when you need it. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Camilo Siaga, a COO Alliance member and the Senior Vice President for STN Digital. Thanks very much for sharing with us on the Second Command Podcast. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.